Minnesota is home to two of the most livable cities, the most beautiful natural scenery, and one of the most industrious creative cultures in the world. In recent years, a thriving democracy of checks, balances, and an adversarial media have been replaced by political rivalries and corrupt officials more focused on delivering for donors and interest groups than honoring the public trust. Increasingly, local media seems to be in lockstep with this enterprise. In the spring of 2020, this system broke down and sent shockwaves throughout the country. Minnesotans Ask is not about politics. It is about the breakdown in transparency and accountability to the public. We are asking what can be done to bring sustainable balance back to Minnesota government. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Minnesotans Ask. Uh, Co-host Val Lockhart and I today are very happy to have with us two tireless advocates for openness and transparency. I, for lack of a better word for it, I would call them two uh, warriors in that uh, fight um, uh, who really have dedicated uh, countless hours uh, to those efforts. Uh, Val, it'd be good to talk to both of these, uh, these gentlemen. Absolutely. We have with us today uh, Rich Newmeister, and Tony Webster. And I'll start with you, Rich. Rich, you are, as you may know, uh, something of a legend in Minnesota, at least among those of us who care about uh, data and transparency in government. Uh, How did you become as committed as you are to this work? What, what, uh, whether it goes back to your childhood or your education or an experience, uh, what, what, what got you into this, this work and fueled that passion that you have? Well, uh, I didn't know I was that old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just beginning my, getting my Social Security in a couple more months. But I, I, I think it's a combination of environment and how you're raised. I was a low-income kid. lived in projects, housing projects. My dad was a disabled vet. So you already knew the impact that government can have on your life. And then as I grew up, uh, you interacted with government. And then again, which I've already alluded to, of a certain age, you grew up in the 60s. You grew up in the 70s. Being a firstborn, I mean, I did a lot of stuff. I had a lot of rope to either hang myself or to do something with with the rope I was given by my parents. So I did a lot of independent stuff. So, you know, I was active in the 68 campaigns, got on the Humphrey campaign, and and a lot of it had to do just be, you know, there was an early astuteness of me and politics and my surroundings, and one can make a difference, student council, whatever. But then as time went on, of course, you, uh, get educated a little bit. You do some reading or and stuff like that. So, where I started to do the things, at least with the legislature, was in the late seventies, when I was a probation worker here in Ramsey County, and the whole issue of community corrections, where the state was financing uh, community corrections or probation work at that time. Community corrections were large amounts of money by the state 
to augment corrections, people in probation, on parole, and whatever. And then, you know, when I was a kid, I lived around near the Capitol. So it was just a little nexus. So there were budget cuts. Uh, the interest about the where I was telling you about the background, how I was raised, you know, already had questions about the relationship between me and government. So rights started to come into play. Questions. I mean, I remember asking in, in 1970 about why can't we have uh, vending machines in high school? <laughs> so you, you saw, you know, all I'm saying is it's, it's, it develops. So Did then, your parents give you so, any? No, I just want to finish again with oh, the Vietnam yeah. War and Watergate. You then had some of those issues start to come out. Privacy, civil liberties, accountability. So, Rich, did your parents give you any insight as to what, like, did they give you direction on any of that or kind of teach you, instill that in you? Or was it just something you feel like you learned along the way? I, I think it comes back to that main point that I said. They gave me enough rope either to hang myself or not hang myself. And uh, I didn't hang myself. And as long as I didn't get in too much trouble, you know, they support it. I mean, there was never saying, don't get involved in this, don't do that, yeah. you know. Okay. So I'm going to ask Tony the same question, but what's specific to, you've been such a fearless advocate on issues of of, of uh, open data and and uh, pri privacy and, and, and those types of issues. Is there any one experience or issue that really drove you in that direction as a passion? That was to Rich, right? That's to Rich. I'm going to ask Tony okay. for his background in that same question. Yes. Oh, you're asking me that. So I thought yes. it was Tony. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. I mean, uh, okay. I mean, over the general things, I mean, like I say, you go back to history in the late sixties, early seventies, you had activism. You had a number of issues. You had the environment. You had the feminist movement. You had Vietnam War. You had the whole thing of your relationship to government and secrecy. Go on and on. So it was a panoply of issues. Yeah. So you just went into it. I mean, I remember uh, 1970 uh, taking a sledgehammer in front of Kaufman Union. Down with cars. Down with cars. You know, mm -hmm. representing, you know, yeah, you know, the pollution. So it was never one particular item in, in general. It was just developed as time. And so which then goes to the panoply of many issues I involve myself in today. Okay. That, that's, uh, uh, yeah, it's really that relationship between citizens and their government and, and, and uh, the trust and how that gets frayed. And, and uh, Tony, you're a lot younger than at least Rich and myself. <laughs> By um, a little bit. Uh, how, how about you? Where did your kind of passion more generally for public policy and uh, your issues, where, where did that uh, arise in you? Yeah, so back when I was in college, um, you know, I didn't really know completely what I was going to do, but I always sort of thought it was going to be something in the realm of public policy. Um, and I, I interned for a Minneapolis City Council member back 14 years ago now or so. 
And during that process, I um, felt a little bit like disillusioned by how difficult it was to get information from the government, even when working from the inside. And I remember a, a constituent had called into the office and they were having an issue with a, a sort of faceless, nameless company um, putting um, vehicle boots, like immobilization devices, on cars and doing so illegally. And they weren't really able to, to get any information about it. And it sort of seemed like they were preying on, on people by putting up like signs that were misleading and and I was sort of interested in, in this and so I, I started digging into it and I just like even though I was working you know at City Hall I just couldn't get answers and so I decided to you know my internship was coming to a close and so after that I just decided well I'm just going to send you know a public records request I had, had never done it before um, to the city to try to you know learn more about you know what's going on here and I ended up you know, getting access to just boxes and boxes of records. And um, it was just really enlightening by like, hey, if there's this law and if I use it, like I can actually get access to information and, and maybe I won't get that information unless I use that law. And so that was kind of my first, my first experience with it. And since then, uh, it's sort of become a, a passion of mine. You're I, addicted. Yeah. <laughs> You know, now it's like I, I'm a researcher, journalist with a, a background in software engineering, and I, I do use public records in a lot of the work that I that I do. I get, you know, nerdy about data, but I, data can just tell um, tell really important stories. Yeah. That's really interesting because I was on the council, and I remember that issue coming up. And I left the council over ten years ago now, but this issue of uh, I think we call it booting the vehicle, if I remember. Right, um, and so Tony, I, I don't know if our paths crossed real often, but it, perhaps your research was something that that I saw the results of without even knowing that you were the uh, the catalyst for that. Yeah, I compiled just what? a bunch of, a I bunch think... of data, and and um, you know, I'm not going to take credit for it, but you know, I, I, several years have passed, and then ultimately the the practice of booting by private companies made illegal in like most circumstances. So you had some early success perhaps. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that's actually one of the important parts of this kind of work is, is being able to, um, you know, I'm often interested in the big picture, like collecting a lot of data, analyzing it, figuring out how systems and processes work and how they might be broken. And not necessarily in a in a way that's you know advocating for something politically, although people can do that, but more just you know figuring it out and and writing about it and 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 sort of sharing that information. Great, um, Rich, uh, you are known at the legislature for your advocacy. Uh, have you ever been a paid? person over there or have you always worked on your own dime? I've always worked on my own time in terms of the advocacy of uh, public data uh, works or even some of the voluntary efforts. <clears throat> At one time, uh, almost 33 years ago, I was paid for a session to uh, 
monitor legislation for the for the Minnesota Hospital Association at that time. And at that time, that monitoring was not considered lobbying. So it was a nice way I was there at the meeting. So they just said, Rich, take notes. <laughs> I was paid uh, 10 bucks an hour at that time. So it was a good, but in all the other efforts I've been doing, uh, not paid, all voluntary. And I, and I just want to say that what, this is what's important. In whatever, like Tony has done a great job in saying what he does. And he even mentioned it, the political aspects of it. Uh, I'm one of those folks that like to get into the political aspects. Yeah. I'd like to testify at the legislature and in local public bodies to be able to share information. So it's important to understand that as we go in our conversation, there's no right or wrong about what people do. I mean, on public accountability or for issues of privacy or certain kinds of things, because it takes, it takes all kinds <laughs> to make the push. Uh, we may disagree, we may overlap, but for the overall push, you do need the researchers. You do need the people who are tech savvy. Neumeister is not tech savvy. I didn't join, uh, get a computer until 2010, and I started writing blog posts. Before that, because I was doing stuff for at least 30 years before that time, it was all memos, typewritten, you know, uh, phone calls. And, and I discovered the, the impact and the power of doing a blog or doing a Twitter, uh, getting on social media. So, you know, I, I just wanted to, sort of lay lay that out you know it takes all kinds you know to do what you got to do to achieve public accountability privacy or whatever well and on that note are you all working together on things sometimes like if if you're taking different approaches like do you share information with each other is there a network that you have set up like how is that working well i'm aware of minkoji the Minnesota Coalition on Government Information, which is another volunteer organization. And, we, you know, Matt Elling has become known, quoted, representing sometimes uh, at the legislature. Um, and, I mean, how I met Tony, you know, was, was through the computer thing, more than likely, if I remember right. And I'm on Twitter, he's on Twitter. Uh, you know, there's a number of other people, uh, Sam Richards, Kurt Hanna, a lot of young people, uh, as Tony says, you know, a little bit younger <laughs> than, than Paul and myself. And so there is a camaraderie. Uh, and there, uh, it's a small community. And we're both active on social media, Tony and I, and others are too. So do we communicate? Sure there is. But again, there's differences of emphasis. Like I, I don't, like two different, you know, one difference between Tony and, and I myself. He's, he, he has the ability to sue for all kinds of, whether it be by resources or he has that knack for it or whatever. 
for me, I'm not. I'm one of those people that will just call the damn politician or somebody and say, hey, why the hell am I not getting my public data? And, you know, I'd be, you know, so I'm persistent in that way. He's persistent through the courts. And if things come to play, I'll embarrass people by going to a public hearing. Again, can't do it the last 10 months and say, you know what? I've been trying to get interact with so-and-so and so-and-so. And then all of a sudden I get my data or I do it on tweets. I mean, again, the last 10 years. And so knowing, the law, helps too. knowing the law helps too. And Tony will tell you that because Tony will tell, will tell you, and maybe Tony can throw out a couple of your examples. All of a sudden the, the clerk or somebody will say, well, we can't give that to you because of blah, blah, blah. And then you'll, he'll, you've probably had the experience like I've had that you know the, you know the law better than they do. Well, Tony, let's talk about that. You had a major lawsuit that went, as I recall, uh, uh, up to the Minnesota appellate courts uh, that related to access to some Hennepin County information. Tell us how that got started. Yeah, so I've had a few lawsuits uh, now. You know, a couple of years ago, I had sent a data request to the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office because I was really interested in how they were using surveillance technology. And I didn't think the request was too terribly complicated. I, you know, gave him a list of some vendor names that were sort of, you know, in the news elsewhere as, as being companies that law enforcement were using. But they essentially ignored my request. They just, they just kept saying they needed more and more and more time. And it was clear that, like, I'm probably never actually going to get these records. And so I, I sued and... I I won, and even though I I even won, they still you know appealed up to the Minnesota Court of Appeals, and the argument that they they took was that it was um, too burdensome to search their email, and they came up with this argument that you know well you're asking us for you're asking for us to search um, you know these these words in our email, and that would mean that we have to create folders for every word in the English dictionary and then categorize all our emails by all the words used in the emails. And it was just such a frustrating argument because, you know, you can just search your email boxes. It's not the deal. <laughs> and, and in fact, they do. I mean, they have internal investigations all the time. I mean, this, this is really basic stuff. And so I did, I did win. Um, it did go up to the Minnesota Supreme Court. You know, I won. I ultimately got the records. But at the end of that, it was, it was, you know, I sent my request in late 2015, and I didn't actually see any of, uh, I didn't see the bulk of the documents until summer of 2018. But we're talking about, you know, very fast-moving advancements in technology. What I received in 2018 is just not journalistically, you know, useful anymore because it's just so so dated. Um, so although it's like this the the process, the system worked, you know, I, I was able to hold them accountable and, and get the records, but, you know, to what end? It, it was just sort of a really frustrating experience. I'm I'm actually in another, well, in two, two other lawsuits right now. One of them was against the Minneapolis Police Department. And last October, I was really interested in, you know, we, we hear a lot about police discipline cases, you know, now and then where we might just hear about a single officer's conduct. But I really wanted to look at the big picture. Um, 
you know, I, I hear all these excuses about police discipline happening so slowly or not being followed through, and there's a lot of blame of like the police union and the arbitration process. And I just I wanted to see the records. Like I wanted to to get a big picture of of what's really going on here. And so I just asked the city for all of the discipline records for all of the police officers who are employed there. And they did not give me a single file on a single officer. And I waited, waited, and then after George Floyd was killed and, and, and all of the conversation that, that came out of that, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm done waiting. So I sued them and it wasn't until I sued that they actually began to give me anything. And so have they responded at, at all until that point or they just ignored you completely? I mean, it was, they, they told me they were working on it, but. Okay. So the same runaround. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and ultimately, you know, I did get a bunch of records. They still haven't given me everything. Um, but what I did get, I mean, was, was very illuminating. I, I worked with the, the Minnesota reformer and wrote a story, you know, highlighting about highlighting a bunch of cases where, where this whole process went wrong and just, just showing how there's all these areas that, that there's room for improvement. And I, I think it's really important that people do this kind of work and, and, and be willing to do these, these deep dives into data, but it's like not possible if, if government agencies aren't following the law. So Tony, to be clear about this though, this information you asked for, there wasn't any debate. It was all public information, correct? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it's it's public. There's certain cases where they might, you know, redact a name here or there, that sort of thing. But um, police discipline records are public. Um, if if discipline poses is, is public under law, and they have to produce it, and they just didn't do I want it. To follow through on a couple of things that Tony was saying. Yeah, I, I uh, got to give credit to Tony. He wouldn't say this, but I do. In his first civil suit in 2015, which ended in 2017, two things came out of it that are still our issues today that the public would never know about. One is about facial recognition that Hennepin County's been doing along in the metropolitan area, where there are stories still remanating from what he did five years ago. It's important to yep. realize. Secondly, uh, Sam Richards, who I spoke about, who's a, you know, like ourselves, I think he doesn't do it for money. He does a little, he does podcasts, some reporting for Muck Rock. And he found out through about Cellhawk, which he was able to find out about through Tony's, all the data dump that got from there. So it's important for your listeners and your viewers that when you ask for data, that making a data request is one of the most powerful tools that you have as an individual. It's compliance by law that the government has to follow. Now, they may have different kinds of ways to follow, but that right, as soon as that letter goes to that responsible authority, by law, they have to comply with your request. Now, Two examples, again, different ways and different situations. Basic data requests I made over the years, like 12, 14, 12, 13 years ago, I made a request about databases, and I found out about GangNet that Ramsey County had. 
where they had thousands and thousands of people on there that shouldn't have been according to standards. I gave that uh, to Mara Gottfried. She did a story on it. Uh, and, and some of the folks may know about the Stingray, the cellular device. Did a data request, had a long time fight with BCA and with the help of legislators who found out. Again, the data request, once you get out the data, sometimes it becomes a rolling thing where the news media may pick up on it, individuals may pick up on it, and then things start to happen. And in that situation, we got a law, there's still some questions about it, a tracking warrant that protects the privacy so cops and government are not using the cell phone uh, in your pocket to track you. And that's where some of the things like, now like Tony, he's doing that great work, doing the digging, giving the stuff like to Max and Minnesota Reformer, or does a story for Sahan Journal, or even a great story that he did on cell phone privacy with National, uh, Minnesota Public Radio, it gets out there. Politicians see it. I'm one of those folks that will, okay, then take the data and start hitting the politicians. Well, what the hell are you going to do about it? Right. And, and so that's why, you know, again, we have to recognize that we're all in it together in all our different ways. And that's one of the things that I, that with the half hour left that we have here is to make sure to let people know it can be intimidating. It can be rough, depending on what you ask for, but anyone can can do this law to make this request. Do you guys feel like the, the city and the government um, uses, like they have to comply with the law, right? But then they will take three years to get you data. Are they using that excuse to try and circumvent your ability to use that data in a timely manner? Well, I think there's there's like, also is that a pretty common practice? I think there's all sorts of reasons why why you know a, a government agency or official might stonewall a request, but I think um, I think just to like zoom out to the big picture, I, I think. One challenge for me is that it, it almost seems like there's this growing perspective in government that people doing this kind of work, you know, people making public records requests are in some way, you know, burdening them or, or pain or, or they're anti-government or, or doing it out of some like political animus. And it, it always makes me go back to this, this quote of government is simply the name we give to the things we choose to do together. And and I really believe that that quote. But when when government officials, you know, are hiding what they're doing and and concealing how they're spending money or who they're meeting with, or when they, um, and, and some of the work I do, when they when they fight against their disclosure of of their use of surveillance technology, for example, it sort of starts to feel like, hey, maybe we're we're not doing this whole government thing together. And I I really think more highly of people in government than that. I think. If you're in government, you should be proud of what you're doing. You should be proud of what you're accomplishing for the people, and you should be proactively telling people about your good work, publishing the data online, putting up the stats, inviting feedback. And, and in my mind, when a public records request comes in, you know, you and government should should actually be excited that there's someone interested in your. Somebody in your work. cares. <laughs> or, 
or better yet, like if a if a public records request comes in, like maybe you should think that it's a sign that like hey, maybe this information should have been online in the first place. Right. And increasingly, I I've been a little bit alarmed of hearing this this rhetoric of of data requesters as as you know enemies, or I've I've heard the term FOIA terrorist used before. And and here in Minnesota, you know, I mentioned um, I've heard some some folks in government express concern that data requests are, are harassing or, or burdensome. That's kind of become a, a thing lately. Um, in my mind, it's just, it's so antithetical to the concept of, of governance. Like the government runs on data, like data is the government operation. It belongs to the people. Right. And Tony, you're so right on think it. And it's, it's, for me, it's, it's an interesting perspective that, that I have because I was, at City Hall for 12 years. I know you were there for a brief period of time. Uh, but then when I left office, I realized how quickly uh, and easily it was to ignore uh, my phone calls and frankly, how easy it was to ignore my own basic requests for information. Um, and it strikes me using policing as an example there's a requirement that the use of force reports be filed anytime there's a use of force. Um, and given the magnitude of the issues, just using that as an example, why shouldn't we have a requirement that there simply be a, a portal on any, for any police department that includes, and if you have to redact the names of the officers or whatever, but anytime there is a use of force matter, it seems to me that rather than requiring someone like yourself, you know, one of the two of you or us to individually request this data, if there's really a commitment to, to change in this information, shouldn't there be an affirmative obligation? You know, for example, right now you've got, you know, the, the uh, campaign finance laws. You just go on the county website and you're able to look up if this is truly public information if there's nothing more important right now that that municipal government is looking at than our policing issues why is it so unreasonable just to expect that that information would be available on a portal as opposed to individuals having to ask for it and even sue to get it well what uh paul what it comes down to is control <laughs> this is right. it, it's a power game See, again, different people look at things in different realms. For me, based on the background, I look at it as a power struggle. You know, it's a power game. Who is control? Who is in control of the information? Controllers of information control the message. I'll give you an example very quickly. Uh, when all the budgets came down, when the budget cuts came down, uh, I, I don't know what administration it was in from the state, Chris Coleman makes this big plea saying, you know what, we're going to have community meetings to see what you, the public, want to hear or get feedback from you so we can make decisions about the cuts you want because local government aid was being cut. Well, I found out and someone else found out that there was a 44-page memo, some pages like that, that the administration had already done, but they didn't want to release it on the web for the community before the meeting could look at what the mayor's staff was recommending 
and the only way you could get it is by request. And how easy was it just to put it on the damn portal? Chris, bless his heart. No, I know him. I knew his dad, you know, and his brothers, a couple of his brothers, and Nick, who I really miss, uh, wants to, wanted to control the message. The other aspect, I remember of a, see, one of the, again, I make data requests all the time, just as Tony does. I like to ask for policies and procedures, which by law that they have to have. Well, the Minnesota Department of Education had it in their policy memo. If there is any public data that you feel could be controversial or political, it must go up to the commissioner first <laughs> for review. Denying me the public data that should be available. So, you know, just to highlight your, you know, your, your question, a lot of it is deep-seated, deep cultural, we're in control, we're the ones who are best to decide. And that's institutional, and that has been here for decades. Now, just real quick to sort of say about use of force reports, police reports, body cam videos, all kinds of data other than law enforcement. A lot of agencies, I've been able to get that. I, I made a data request for all police discipline files from the city of St. Paul, uh, you know, certain aspects of their files. I got them, and they gave them to me electronically on a PDF. <laughs> Completely different than the Minneapolis approach. A lot of it has to do with culture, too. Yeah, yeah culture shift. Have you guys government. seen a lot of differences? Go ahead, Tony. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think culture shift in government is maybe the most important thing. I mean, I, I do feel like you know, seeing these open data efforts and dashboards pop up, you know, have, have, have been some like really good progress. And I, I want to see more of that. Um, I, I, but as it stands now, it's like in the, in the work I, I do, you know, which has been a lot lately about police surveillance technology, I see police departments spending, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars on, you know, the best and the best gear and surveillance tech. Well, at the same time, their records on police officer discipline um, when they do wrong are often stored, you know, in paper in six different filing cabinets or maybe, you know, in a box that's at an offsite facility. And, and they say, oh, we don't really track that thing. It's going to cost $10,000 to get that. And so we, we have this priority on, on, you know, buying all this, you know, new surveillance equipment, but then there's no priority on, on actually like, internal accountability and i think right, right. where we put where we put our focus really really does matter and, and is is reflective of our our you know culture inside government so i want to jump on this culture question everyone how do we change that culture um among those among the elected officials um you know, there, it seems to me that 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 people that are in positions of elected positions, when they are, swear to abide by the charter and state law, part of that is that to the, these questions that we're talking about, that includes the requirements under law of this open data 
and 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 to make sure that those are how do how do we instill that in elected officials? How do we create an expectation? Because I have so much respect for both of you, and I think it's good that we're encouraging others to make these kinds of requests. But it just seems like there needs to be a change in the political culture that if there's a request for information, whether I like the information or not, whether that, that's not an issue, that, that you, know, you, you have an obligation under the law to see that information is timely provided. And, and that's an ethical question to me among those who we elect. Um, well, you, well, you need champions. You, you need champions of, from, the, from the elected persuasion, you know, who are elected. I mean, at the legislature, that historically has been there. It's on the downtrend now. <laughs> it's not, who you know. Who your champions over the years? Oh, from Bob Tennyson, Fritz Kanak, Tom Pugh, Kathy Blatz. I mean, I can go on and on. Uh, Mary Liz Holberg, uh, Alice Segrin, uh, Jean Merriam, one of the top who I uh, wrote drafts of bills and who was willing to, you know, introduce the bills for me. Uh, uh, you know, and, and one of the things is that open government and privacy does not go into left-wing, right-wing kind of politics. That's kind of the unique thing for me politically at the legislature. On a local level, it needs to be bought, there needs to be a bought in by elected officials. Now, I'll just say the example, and maybe Tony could make comment about it, because he knows a little bit more about Minneapolis than I do. Minneapolis, two, three years ago, decided to put in some money and some effort to make some thing, some changes. They hired two data practices coordinators to help facilitate. Uh, they set up a system where you can make data requests via computer electronically, which has a negative or, or two. But the thing though, they invested all this money and the buy-in is in there. But what happens when the coordinators, who are the bosses supposedly, are asking the departments for the data that Tony may have requested, John Q or Joan Q public of Minneapolis asked for, they're having fights internally yeah. <laughs> from the yeah, agency that should, have, should be obligated to know that they have to do the law. So on the outside, they, you know, Minneapolis invest all this money, da, 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 but the same, the pity ass, I'm sorry, pissant, uh, fights are happening internally. Again, it's not with all data, but it is that data that might show embarrassment, that might show questions, it might show those. And those are the kinds of things Tony has been asking for and others too. Tony, I want to turn to your lawsuit and just how much dedication it took because were you represented in that lawsuit yes i've been you know very lucky to have an attorney who's been helping me with with all of my cases i i have um two that are pending right now i i've done i think it was maybe two or three previously and and they've all had i mean very good results so far i mean um you know minneapolis is still pending i don't really know where that's that's going to go but my recollection is that you were not awarded any of your attorney's fees. 
so in the Hennepin case, um, that was a that was a very you know frustrating aspect. So in, in Minnesota, you know, you can sue, you know, in just regular full blown court, or you know, several years ago there was this new process created under the Office of Administrative Hearings, which is, you know was supposed to be you know better and faster and supposed to get you your data you know quickly, and all that sounded great. And so that's the route that I went with. And so we, we had a very expedited process before an administrative law judge, but the law caps how much attorney's fees you get back at $5,000. So, you know, we did get an award for the $5,000, but then, you know, the, the sheriff's office, Hennepin County appealed it. And so all those attorney's fees on appeal, you know, there's no award for under that, under that process. And this has kind of made me realize that like, Hey, this, this whole idea that like, you know, we're going to help data requesters get information faster by making this faster process has actually almost created, I, I half jokingly call it an appeal meal, appeal meal for government because it's like they can just appeal and there's no financial harm in having just like completely, you know, unmeritorious appeals. Right. Um, and, and so I, I don't, I'm never going to use that process again uh, in my current cases. They are, you know, civil lawsuits in, in district court. And we're in discovery in both of them. Um, the other case is against the, the Secretary of State's office. I'm trying to get some business data that they already have as a CSV file, and they agree that it's government data and they agree that it's public, but they want over $10,000 for that file. What? And they claim that they claim that you know it has commercial value, but the law says that they have to justify and, and document you know that it does have commercial value and that the amount of money they're they're charging is reasonable. And I've asked them for that justification, and I it's been over a year now, and I've heard nothing. Like we're in discovery, and and their responses have been you know <laughs> we're still working on it. Like they still haven't come up with a justification. <laughs> so they've got their team of lawyers on it trying to figure out how to get you out of here <laughs> yeah exactly and it's 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 really frustrating and and i you know disheartening also and i i think it's it's really important that we we fix these problems and and, and do fix the culture issues because you know when we talk about culture it's like well <laughs> Right now, we're, we're lucky enough to have people making decisions. And, you know, pretty soon, you know, computers are going to be making those decisions. And and, right. and we've already been seeing that in some cases. Like it's not science fiction. You know, Minneapolis no. police actually use al algorithms to determine staffing levels in different parts of the city. And I've seen some prosecutors, not, not here, but out of state, using algorithms to determine like whether someone should have bail or not, or how much their bail should be. And I think we're going to see these algorithms pop up more and more. And it's going to be less about being able to point at a, a point at a specific person and say, you know, they're accountable or, or, you know, they're the person who needs, there needs to be a culture change with. It's like, we're going to have computers making these decisions. And, and right now people across the country are having problems getting access to information about how those algorithms they're you know it's said that they're trade secrets or security information and so i think we really do need to figure out this stuff sooner than later and right. and make sure that this is just a, a core value in everyone in government that that people know what their government is up to and, and how it works 
um, because if we don't figure that out soon, I mean, I, I just hate to think where, where it will go next. I have a question for both of you about the current state of our, our world and how that is affecting your ability to do these things like with COVID and, and unrest and whatever else is going on. How does that affect your ability to do this? Well, as well, most people who know me, they know me that my uh, my fun, <laughs> my uh, entertainment is interacting with government, asking questions, da, 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 da. So it's hard as hell during the last 10 months with the pandemic. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I only live, I live right across the street from St. Paul City Hall, Ramsey County for the last 40 years. Uh, six blocks away from the Capitol. I mean, uh, again, I don't do it as much as I used to, but there's still that thing to do. Pandemic has raised a number of issues. Uh, Star Tribune, the Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul paper have had some issues about that and about access and ability. But I do have to say in general, because there were some attempts to try and modify the Data Practices Act at the beginning of the pandemic, like some other states have done, to sort of say, well, you know, we don't have to honor data requests, things like that. Well, that was that was a that that flew dead on arrival when some entities and groups were entertaining that because of our strong belief by the legislature in general on that issue. Uh, but you know, I've been getting my my data. I haven't actually been making data requests. I'll leave a message. Hey, can you send me the stuff? You know, yesterday I was calling police agencies, asking if they own drones, because I'm going to follow up on that. Well, I was getting recordings. I left a message. I got they got back to me. Um, the thing was, is the physical, the physicality of the public meetings. Again, it's not just data requests. It's also the physicality of seeing our government. Right now, right. our government is virtual and invisible, from my point of view, for a great number of people. I have very mixed thoughts about it. I mean, on, on one hand, I think it's been, I think as a result of the pandemic, we've seen a lot of, you know, technology improvements that have made government more accessible. I mean, I, I you know, for many years have been, have covered court cases and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and now it's like being able to, you know, call in or, or join a Zoom and, and, you know, see the court proceeding happen from home has just, I think added a new level of, of, of transparency and engagement and, and knowledge that just wasn't there before because not many people can take time, you know, take time off work, you know, get downtown, you know, pay for transit or parking and then go through security and get up to the courtroom. And I saw a statistic, something like 97% of court hearings um, in Minnesota, um, were were being held remotely at last count and i i think a lot of good comes out of that um at the same at the same time though when the pandemic started and, and even we've seen it a little bit you know during our, our most recent you know november or so um there's been a lot of access getting shut down um one one piece of of, of data that i i frequently use in, in my work are our search warrants um, especially, you know, a few years ago, I wrote a story for Minnesota Public Radio about um, police getting search warrants 
um, commanding Google to turn over a list of everyone who was in a specific geographic area during a specific geographic time. And this was a brand new practice and a lot of you know civil liberties folks had concerns over it and I, I wrote the story about how this this practice was just taking off you know in law enforcement it was just being used in in cases you know big and and sometimes you know small and i the only reason i was able to write that story was because i had access to those search warrants to actually see this practice being used and those search warrants are, are public but when the pandemic started the court shut down the public access terminals and so there was just no access to search warrants. Like they were all search warrants in Minnesota with, with, you know, limited exception were just completely off limits to the public. And I think it's, it's raised a concern for me recently that like, well, oftentimes like the public's interest and, and, and you know, the interest of researchers and journalists are, are just not considered as, as, you know, government's been making decisions about how to handle this pandemic. So Right. Uh, I have a lot of good and a lot of bad to say about what's what's come out of this. I think, um, you know, the other thing is that COVID has become just a, uh, an excuse sometimes where, where, you know, we're now, you know, 10, what, 10, 11 months into this pandemic. And, and it's just kind of, although there's a lot of reasons COVID is disruptive in, in government and in everyone's lives, I am seeing it sort of left and right in terms of like, oh, we need more time to handle this request. And it's like, well, it's a spreadsheet. Like you already have the spreadsheet, but it's just kind of become an, an excuse. And, and that, that can be frustrating. Rich, because you have a real historical perspective on this, you've been at it for a long time. Are things better or worse than they were when you started in this work 30 years ago? Oh, they're better. I mean, there's, uh, as I was, you know, being at the legislature for many years, I was known as the Lone Ranger of Privacy. As many people may know, I do, I just do as much strong work on public access as I do on privacy with a lot of the laws at the legislature. Sometimes they'll say privacy, open government advocate, vice, who, who the hell knows? And the reason why is you got great people like Mr. Webster. You got people like you, Paul. You got people like you, Valerie, who are taking more of a broader interest in this. When I was around lobbying at the legislature, you had basically some good people, you know, like John Finnegan, who was the editor of the paper, uh, Bob Shaw of Star Tribune, or the I'm sorry, Roger Adams and the Newspaper Association. And then there was myself. And then depending on the issue, but not consistently. But now that's changed a lot. You know, so that's, that's one of the ma major things. The second thing that I think we have to still remember historically, in our state, our data practices laws are different than other states. It's based on data. It's not based on broad principles like all data uh, that is considered invasion of privacy shall not be public. We don't have broad categories or the broad category, any or all drafts before the final document is released shall be not available. So the legislature is the entity that we put into law decades ago who decides the specific things, what should be public or private. So I've seen, and that's where I'm just, 
important to continue that people need to go to the legislature to talk about those issues. Because the, the, the one example is the body cam legislation. While, while people are complaining now, five years later, hey, there's not a lot of public uh, data, body cam video that's publicly public in other states because there weren't a lot of people in the trenches down at the legislature. They would publicly testify, folks would, community groups, but not, you know, lobbying uh, legislators while the police association, the Minnesota police chiefs who had the money and the power, they did all that. So, you know, things have changed, yes, and for the better, but still the old horse show goes. You got to show up, make a difference, and let your voice be known. That's a call to action, it sounds like, Rich. Every individual has a right to be at the legislature and advocate and may not be getting paid to do it, but uh, we all have a right to be over there. Damn right. And even on the city level, too, because the city has a lot of power, or the counties, and locals. So, Tony, uh, maybe some words of hopefully some hope from you and, and as you look ahead in the, the future uh, uh, to, to what you see, uh, what 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 do you think the greatest challenges are moving forward and and what gives you hope yeah you know i i feel really hopeful that there's so many people who think are really interested in these sorts of issues and and have been sort of following along with developments getting involved themselves i think um i think that is really promising i you know i mentioned you know there there's all sorts of ongoing challenges and there there will always be challenges and it's important to stay updated um, about things happening at the legislature, but um, you know, I, I think I would just encourage people to to get involved and 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 to use and to use the law to ask for. Data. You know, I, I feel like one of the things that has sort of happened in in 2020 and and in recent times is there's been a lot of people who get frustrated at at sort of like the media, and and about coverage that they see or don't see and that sort of thing. And and I think one thing that's important for people to realize is is you know you have the right to to you know go find information and and do your own research and that sort of thing and, and these laws exist for everyone to use and so if if you're not seeing something covered you know in the press that you want to see obviously you know tell reporters like they're they're you know usually wanting to, wanting ideas of what to cover so of course talk talk to you know your local press but but also you have the right to go ask ask these questions yourself and to get the data and and i think more more people should get involved in doing that. We have to be the media. Yes. Well, it's just like the example I just saw now. As you know, there are people being investigated about comments that they made at the state capitol from two weeks ago. Yeah. That they're being investigated. Now, not getting into the politics of it. You know, uh, when you start saying to le about legislators and all that, that they're being investigated, public has a right to know about who, what, where, when, are they doing it appropriately? Are they not? Are they just, do, are the law enforcement doing it politically? Or who the hell knows? I don't know where you live in a strange world. But it's very clear under our law, certain information about investigations are public. Yep. But again, you don't see the press asking those kinds of questions. Hey, we wanna know why or who, because certain data is public. And that's what like Tony was saying, you know, uh, if you're interested, then you can do the data request. One of the great things about the Data Practices Act 
you can ask for all government information about yourself. Many people who were involved in the Occupy Minnesota movement, who I started meeting with because of the computer, they asked for all the files about themselves. And they were finding out how government was monitoring their social media, their Occupy Minnesota Facebook, da 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 da. And even with the great work that Mr. Webster did about when he'd made a major request about Black Lives Matter, what did he find out? He found out about local law enforcement monitoring people, just like they, they were doing in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s. So the same, see, again, you notice the differences between me and Tony. <laughs> the same shit is happening constantly. But that's what we're always, whether it be secrecy or law enforcement, again, it's with government in general, you always got to be on them because they are us and us. And that's why, you know, Tony used a great quote. I like that quote, you know, internal vigilance is important, whatever. I forget who said that. But I really believe in we are, it's for the people, by the people, and all that. And that's one of those things that drive me too, is that, that deep scented, uh, connected kind of philosophy. Well, that's fantastic, uh, Rich and and uh, Tony. It's really good to have you uh, on with us, and maybe we'll do it again sometime. And thank you so, for the work you're doing. Yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important, and in Val, I think as we look at what we want to highlight in our podcast, nothing is more important than these issues: transparency yeah. in government and how people can be uh, effective advocates for that. We're going to keep coming back to this in the future. Yep. Can, can I just make a suggestion? And Paul may know about this, is that uh, both of us are on social media, me and Tony. Uh, I can't speak for Tony, but for me, connect any questions, feel free to call or ask. Also be aware that there's public records media you know, which Matt is involved in with, and that we go out and do free data practices presentations since 2015, a streetwise kind of approach. Uh, we have done it individ for individuals, we help individuals, but also at the same time we do it with groups. So when you put this thing together and you put something, you might just want to share that info. Well, you can now if you'd like. Well, I, you know, I don't have the phone number or whatever, but I think if you, you know. They can reach out to you on Twitter. At Rich Neumeister is my Twitter account. Uh, secondly, I'm very public on Twitter. Uh, secondly, uh, Public Record Media. It's a website. Uh, I don't know the website right offhand. I think it's a .org. Right. Uh, PRM.org, and it gives information about that, too. Yeah, and I'd say the same thing. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always getting emails from folks who are, are, you know, weird denials from government, and I, I always love chatting with people. And, and oftentimes, I don't find out about um, don't find out about things unless people tell me as well. So um, I'm at Webster on Twitter, TonyWebster.com. Feel free to reach out. Um, I'm always happy to try to help. And I just want to say it's always a pleasure. I mean, uh, you know, Tony is a diamond in the rough. Uh, you know, he, it's hard for him to take praise, but 
uh, from an old man like myself who's been involved in all, a lot of battles, uh, it's nice to see p folks, young, particularly young people like Tony and some of the other folks I mentioned and others I, I chat with who are starting to get interested in this issue. Well, you know, it seems to me this is David and Goliath works work. You know, that, that really that <laughs> uh, all of you, and to the extent that we're a part of it, all of us that are uh, taking on these powerful forces, it's really David versus Goliath. But then I, I always try to remind myself that, uh, you know, who won that battle eventually. Yeah, it's, it's funny to see emails about myself, you know, written, you know, from within government sometimes. And it's like, although I feel like I... I I often feel frustrated and, and like I'm, I'm never going to get, you know, a good result. It's like at the same time, I sometimes think that they are like fearful of, of getting sued. And I, I think that that's actually a, a good thing. Like government should be fearful that there will be consequences <laughs> if, if you don't comply with the law. And I, I want them to feel that way about everyone, not just, you know, the people who can hold them accountable. So definitely, you know, so, like send a data request and, and, you know, it, Get on them, like Rich said. That yeah. just shows that, that you know you're making a difference. We've inspired even one out there, and hopefully we've done more than that to, to do exactly that, and all this time's been worth it. Um, um, but it's really, thank you so much for all the work you're doing. Thank you, Val. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank yeah. you guys. A lot I enjoyed it. Thanks to all of you. You bet. You right. Stay safe and keep up the great work.